0: Well, part four of our excellent series, Movement and Multiplication, just remind myself of the title, How Can I Trust God More? This word trust is a big, big word, this word trust. I was, um, I was looking at, uh, thinking of something funny to say, so let's move on to the text. <laughs> I was thinking of something funny to say, and... I started to write down funny things in my life, and I thought, well, they'll be funny to me, and they won't be funny to you. (laughs) But um, as I looked down this list, and I got to five things, I thought, how can I make these funny this morning? Funny stories about trust. And uh, and then I looked down this list, and I thought, well, I've got the one about the chap who tried to paint our house and set fire to all our conifers. The one about um, when I had a friend over to house-sit with me. And um, he left his key somewhere and climbed through an open window and the neighbours called the police. And I got into big trouble because of that. Or oh, I thought about the one about the, um, England losing against Australia. And, uh, and, I, and I thought that wasn't a good one. <laughs> and I thought about, these all sound like episodes of Friends, don't they? The one about. Then I thought about the one about the gammon. That was Yesterday. Liz said, can you make sure you get the gammon out of the fridge at three o'clock? So I wrote it down and I thought, well I've got a few things to do. And about seven o'clock I smelled a fabulous smell in the kitchen. I said, hey Liz, that smells so good. Oh, I forgot to get the gammon out. She said, no, I didn't trust you. I phoned Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Pete and Anna, that's what happens. It's only, only a matter of time. <laughs> but um, you know, Pete, at Anna's wedding, Pete's wedding as well, <laughs> I, th- I did tell a story about Anna breaking things, <laughs> and lo and behold, she went and broke something on her honeymoon. <laughs> at least it wasn't Pete's heart. Ah. <laughs> anyway, but you know what? And I had, I had another one down on my list. I'm not going to tell you that. Second service, get that special treat. But um, I realised these are all things about people. Do you notice that? Yeah. It's always about trusting people. And so when we come to think about how can I trust God more, our problem is that we think of trust in relationship to people. And God is not like people. And so we have to reset our thinking on trust because we get let down. Who's been let down in trust, in an area of trust in your life in this room? Just raise your hand. Absolutely everybody. And that's the trouble. Everybody lets everybody down sometime. And so when we talk about how can I trust God more, it's a really difficult thing to get our heads around because we're all wired to expect failure from somebody. And so we get wired to expect God to fail for us. And we've got to actively change that. We've got to, to be different. We trust in people and people let us down. I saw a funny photo on the internet and I thought I'd just show it you. <laughs> you know, we take a leap of faith and I don't think that skinny guy's gonna catch that sumo bloke. <laughs> It's interesting. We, we, that's what life's like. We put trust in situations and people don't catch us. People don't let, they don't, they don't do what we want them to do. They, they, sometimes it's because they can't. And we put too much expectation. You know, when, when I was a young kid, we lived in India and my dad used to ask uh, local Indian guys directions often. And um, he'd always get an answer. And it used to become the standing joke that they never knew where to send you. They just gave you directions. <laughs> so they would say, up there, turn left, turn right. And they just wanted to be able to give you information. And so you'd go there and it was nowhere near where you wanted to be because we, we, we trust people. So, um, so when we talk about how can I trust God more, it's really how can I get people out of my head. And it's also how can I get God in my heart. It's if I get people out of my head and God in my heart, God in my understanding. That's why the Bible talks so often about changing the way we think because people mess us up and we as people mess ourselves up not only other people but you are you've messed yourself up this week just because you've thought wrong about something you have you've sometime this week you've thought wrong about something about yourself and you've believed it and because you believed it you've ended up living it but god says no that's not that's not how i am my trust is a trust with a capital t your trust is a, a trust with a small t your trust is is flaky my trust, if you trust me, it's, it's trust you can really bring. But we've got to understand how to trust God. So th- this story, how can, how can I trust more? You know, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul. And um, the Apostle Paul, well, he was Saul, of course. And last week we looked at Acts 9 and the Damascus Road story, um, which really did happen. And you may think, well, that, that, that's, that's impossible. That will never happen to another human being. Well, actually, it's happened to many human beings. I've got a very interesting story here. I'll just look at my notes for a second. Because um, it, it, amazing story. This goes back quite a long time ago, in 1887. There was a young boy who was 14 in Africa, in Liberia, in Africa. And he was the son of, a, uh, he was the son of a, a, a tribal chief. So he was a prince. His name was uh, Kabu. And this guy was um, kidnapped. One tribe attacked another tribe. And they kidnapped the chief's son. And they, they kept him captive and they held him for ransom. And, and the, the, the other tribe had to, to pay the kind of ransom. Well, it's not ransom. They just kept him. And, and they just kept demanding. And eventually the, the tribe he came from wouldn't give in anymore. They so said, we're not doing it. So this guy got beaten. This 14-year-old boy got beaten. And um, he was tied up. And, and in his agony, in the end, he just cried out. He cried out to God. Uh, and he just cried out, God, help cried out to God. And then, miraculously, in the jungle, a light shone from heaven. This is the story. And the voice said, run. It sounds just like the Apostle Paul, Saul as he was. And so this young boy of 14 ran. But just as he did it, all the ropes that he was tied up with fell off. So he ran into the jungle. and He lived on snails and mango for a few days and eventually found his way to a cotton plantation and uh, managed to get some work there and befriended a couple of people at this plantation. Um, they were Christians there. And this young boy invited him to meet a missionary lady, a, a, a single woman called Miss Knowles. And she spoke on what we spoke on last week, which is why I'm using this story, because it 's so parallels what we're talking about here. And she talked about this conversion of Saul. And he realized that he had heard God speak and seen a light, and it said, run, and he ran. And he did what this voice had said, and he hadn't understood it, he just didn't understand it. But um, he gave his life to Jesus Christ because he realised that God talks to people, even though they didn't—they never even knew who he was. He, he realised it, so he accepted Jesus. Now the missionary was funded by a man in miracles called Samuel Morris, and so just like Paul, who changed his name, to, well, God changed his name to uh, Saul. Changed his, God changed Saul's name to Paul, as we will read later on in Acts. Um, he decided to change his name, so he decided to call himself after the missionary who financed the lady or the funder who found the lady who was the missionary. And so he called himself Samuel Morris, which is bizarre, isn't it? But that was to show a change in his life. And I think that's amazing. I love the fact that's what he did. He, he said, I'm going to see that there's a change now in my life, and I'm going to change my identity because of this, in terms of that. And he also learned from another woman, um, a young lady, about the Holy Spirit. And he heard about... Um, and she didn't know very much. We're talking about 1887. This is before the, the great revivals of the early 1900s and this Pentecostal move around the world. And there was a man who taught this girl, who is now also working in in Liberia. And and this this young guy, who's now going by the name of Steve uh, of um, um, Sa- Samuel Morris, I said, well, where is this man now? And they said, well, he's in New York. He lives in New York. He runs a mission in New York. And um, and so this young boy, who had given his life to Jesus, said, I need to know more about this Holy Spirit. And there are too many of us, we, we have got access to the Holy Spirit right now. Right now. It's God's gift to us. God is, is his Holy Spirit. And this boy wanted to know more about it, so he decided to go and get himself to New York. Well, how does a penniless, poor, you know, young guy get himself at the age of 16 to New York? Well, he went down to the, to the port... He pleaded with a, a captain of a ship who had a full crew, I'll, I'll work. And the same time, God's providence, he arrived at the ship, two of the, the, the deckhands decided to do a runner, and he was short. So he said, okay, you can, you can work on the ship. They beat him on the ship. They treated him like a, a menial and a slave, but he wasn't. But you know what? By the time they arrived in New York, he led the captain to faith, and most of the crew had become Christians. Because they saw the reality of Jesus Christ, the real living Jesus in his life and so this guy who had arguably way less than we've got started to infect people with the gospel and when he landed in New York this guy, he met this guy Stephen Merritt who was the man who talked about the Holy Spirit and he began to win many for Christ in fact on one of his early nights there nearly twenty people gave their lives to Christ just listening to this boy because his his testimony was authentic it was a real deal Um, and then the people realised, this is in the, the days when, if you had a different colour skin, you were persecuted. And yet the people who knew him knew that God was in his life, and amazing thing. Anyway, they decided this, this guy has got, this young boy of 16 has got God's hand on his life, let's, let's get him trained, let's get him, and we'll, we'll take up some offerings and send him to a, a, a Bible college, university, which they did. And when he got there, he was so humble, and he infected so many of the, the students that that it just overwhelmed them that the presence of God could be in someone like this. Sadly, this young man died um, before he even left university, but he made such a huge impact on them that there's now three statues of this guy, and if you go to that university today, you'll see it. And as a result of his testimony, hundreds of missionaries went to Africa. His dream was always to go back to Africa and take the message back. He never could. But by God's grace, hundreds did. And so, I mean, I I can only think of thousands and thousands being, you know, brought to faith because of that. It all started, you know, all started when a young man, age 14, cried out to God to reveal himself. God, get me out of here. And what he did was he responded and did what God said. It's an extraordinary story. They've written five novels about him, 12 biographies about him, a documentary and a film. It's incredible what a young guy can can happen. So, how can I trust God more? That's our question this morning. How can I trust? Maybe think for yourself right now. How can I trust God more? Is there space in my life to trust God just a little bit more? Is there space? How can I? What does it mean to trust God more? Let's have a look at three broad things this morning. and Hopefully we'll get through them. Um, The first thing is having spiritual vision. Having spiritual vision. Having spiritual vision. We're in Acts 9. We're going to pick it up at verse 10 and then just two verses here. Now, there was a believer in Damascus. So Saul had seen this blinding light and heard the voice. He was blind now and his friends are leading him to Damascus. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, just like the boy. He replied, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. That was on Tradition tells us it's the west end of Straight Street. When you get there, ask for a man from uh, from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias come, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Wow! So God intercepted Saul on the Damascus Road. And some people will say, "Well, how come I don't get that experience? Is my faith real? Is it real?" Have I really met God because I responded in the service, because I heard someone give the gospel, because my friend told me, because I raised my hand, because as a young person in Rock or, you know, in the, you know I went forward when someone, am I really a Christian? The answer is yes, you are. Because just like was said this morning, the voice of God is in, Vicki Simpson, the voice of God is in us. When his spirit brings us to salvation, his de- spirit is deposited in us. And so the voice of God will take us into those things that lead us to God. That's what happens. And so if you've been led to faith in Jesus Christ, that's God's voice. You don't need a blinding light to get you there. But some people will start to doubt their own salvation. But when you hear God speak to you, that's when you have to respond. You have to respond no matter how he speaks. Jesus intercepted Saul personally because Saul was a villain and God was going to transform the world through this man. That's why he did it. But in this situation, these two verses, it's interesting, isn't it? early part of chapter 9 we hear of God himself, Jesus stepping in to intercept a man who had no cry for Jesus Christ. He was trying to kill anybody that carried the name of Jesus but now you've got these two men, Saul in Damascus um, and you've got um, Ananias and what are they doing? They're praying it's totally different now and yet God still intercepts their life He comes in through a vision, He does it differently Saul, if he thought that every time he wanted a God encounter, he was going to have to hear, see a blinding light and, and hear a booming voice and end up on the floor. Because, you know, we are creatures of habit. We think God's going to do it the same all the time. He's not going to do it the same. In fact, God specialises in doing it differently. God specialises in keeping you on tender hooks at times in your faith. So if you have got used to hearing God speak in a certain way, start asking him how he's going to speak in a different way. Because I know at least 10 different ways that God speaks. That's been my experience in life, that God speaks in different ways. So they're praying. God does a double vision. Now, can you see this photo? This is Straight Street today, pretty much, in Damascus. Damascus, the oldest continually inhabited city in the world, it's said. Um, I won't argue with them. But Damascus in its day, um, even today, it still exists. Very, very busy street. It's got porches and gates at each end with colonnades. Part of it is covered, as you can see in this photograph... And other parts are open. But it's a big, big trading area. And uh, it's very popular. So those of you who like retail therapy, go off to Damascus and check it out. Um, I know my kids do. I gave Olivia 20 quid on Saturday morning and I got very little. In fact, none of it back. Um, <laughs> because that's what children do. So um, anyway, uh, but it, so it was a fashionable district. So, so Saul was going into... The, Saul was in... Judas' house, somewhere we think on the west, side, west end of this street, which really exists. It's a real place. A bit In its day, a bit like Regent Street or Fifth Avenue in New York, bustling with people. And Ananias goes there. He, he gets this thing. So what do we know about what's going on? We see that in the first instance at the beginning of Acts 9, God intercepts without the person realising what's going on. Now that kind of thing is happening. We, we heard about it from the, the young boy, Prince Kabo. Um, that happened to him and there are many many others. I met a guy in Ethiopia called, uh, called uh, Jihad who was a Muslim fanatical killer and when I met him he was a church planter. How does that happen? Because when he was in prison the Holy Spirit brought a vision of Jesus Christ into his cell at night and there are many situations like, like that happening across the Middle East so God is doing it but then Then there's a learning process, and part of this this morning is is how do we learn? If all we ever want is that supernatural explosion going off in our life of of a revelation, then you're kidding yourself, that's how God does it. He deliberately doesn't do the exploding revelation all the time. He does it to some, sometimes, but not to everybody all the time. So what is conversion? Conversion is a process of moving from self-centered independence, like Saul, to dependence on Jesus Christ and interdependence with fellow disciples that's what conversion is it's the independence to dependence and interdependence these three things are what happens in conversion and god had to take saul on this so we're talking about how can i have uh, more trust in god how can i trust god more it's having spiritual vision okay so we didn't get the damascus road experience like saul did but is god going to develop us. Are we going to have more trust in God? Yes, we are. This is how it's going to happen. We're going to trust him more because God has different patterns. How to develop personal vision? Now, you can have a revelation in prayer. We now know phase two of what happened with Ananias and, and Saul was that God now, in this double vision, is speaking to each one of them separately. This is not accidental this is intentional by God why because he's getting them both to see that they need to be with him in prayer and those of you who prayed last week you know how sharp you get with spiritual things it's amazing how sharp you get maybe you felt you couldn't fast last week I would just encourage you next time or even in between times take some time out some people in this church fast every week you know that a day a week some people fast a day a week it's a normal practice for Christians to do. you don't have to wait for three months before we do our next week of fasting Why? Because it sharpens us, and so you can. How to develop a personal vision? Firstly, it could be a revelation in prayer. Now I've had that myself, and you may have had that, but there will be times when you get a supernatural revelation that came from nowhere and God just just gives you that revelation, and then you've got to trust it. How can I trust God more? It's do you believe what you've just seen? Or is it just something you're going to argue away? The second one is probably the more common way that God develops personal vision. He gives you a godly conviction He gives you a godly conviction He will do this constantly Ask God what are you being convicted about I'm telling you if in your life you have no prayerful spiritual revelation or no godly conviction where are you spiritually? Because these two things are the things that God uses to navigate us He is expecting you either to get a revelation from Him in your prayer life which happens regularly if you pray regularly Or, equally, a godly conviction. What is God convicting in your life? And a godly conviction is, you can test it. What's a godly conviction? It's what energises you. What excites you. What gives you... If you're turning up at church and you are absolutely going through the motions. If you're not even going to your life group. if If you've got no energy when it comes to Kingdom stuff, you've got to work on yourself. Because God's not going to do all the work for you. You know, as my kids get older, they start little, you know, for the first three years of life, we're trying to get them to stand and walk, aren't we? And to talk. Once they get beyond three, we're trying to get them to sit down and shut up. (laughs) But um, you know what? Sometimes you've got to get yourself up and get yourself owning responsibility, adults. If you are an adult in the kingdom, you've got to own it. You can't rely on the the leaders. You can't rely on your life group. If your life group is having to phone you every week and say, where are you? Because we want your, t- your fellowship, we want you to be involved. There's a reason for that. It's because they value you. But you've got things that are dominating your life. So what energises you? What energises you? What energises you? What confronts you? What says, look, you know, what do you come up to? It almost makes you angry. I know anger is not a good spiritual fruit. But, um, but you know what, You know those things that really irritate you. I heard about someone who... Um, I had breakfast with someone yesterday and he told me how he got mugged in London and um, his watch was stolen. And as he told me about that, I, I said, "Did you hit the bloke?" And I, I thought, God, God, have got to pray. This is the end of a week of prayer and fasting. And I said, "Did you hit him?" But this guy on a bike pulled up, did, coasted round this fella, and um, in a darkened area in central London, Well, this guy was coming back from church in the evening, and he circled round, he pulled a short knife out, and said, "Give me your watch." i said i would have just belted that bloke as hard as i possibly could and but that, that's the, that's an energy that's a passion can you get it it's a passion your kingdom call is passionate it's about passion if you've got no passion in your faith Get some passion in your faith. Put yourself into a situation where you are confronted with reality. Get a reality check. God is going to surround you with things to stimulate your passions, your energies, your emotions. God will speak to you through your emotions. If you rely just on emotions, though, you'll get yourself into hot water. Perhaps hitting the bloke would have been a bad idea. But I don't know, I just said to this friend of mine who I was having breakfast with, you know what, those sort of things really, they make my blood boil, I wanna go do something about it. But that's what vision, that's how vision forms sometimes. It, it's what energizes you, what confronts you. Where can I serve? Maybe you are passive, maybe you are a naturally passive and moderating person. In our staff for this last week, we've been going through strengths in people and some of our team are very steady, stable, and that, you need those kind of, kind of people. But maybe that's what you're like, and, you just, and you're just feeling like you're not triggered into vision. Well, where can you serve? How can you serve? You could serve in the church. You don't have to serve in the church, by the way. We're not looking for, for volunteers. We're looking for ministry people in our church. For us, anybody who's volunteering in a team, you're a ministry person. You are a ministry person. Bring ministry to that team. Bring ministry. If you're a welcome team person minister to people as they come down the car park minister them as they come through the front door minister them you know show them you know them you love them ask them their name find out about them connect them with somebody else it's a ministry opportunity whether you work with pebbles or rock or ark you know do you know have you ever prayed have you ever prayed do you know god answers prayer there are plenty of religions out there and faiths that have no concept of being able to even speak to god let alone hear god and have an answer to prayer in fact I don't know of anybody I've ever spoken to who has been from another faith or another religion who's ever been able to tell me they've heard God speak to them, ever. And I've spoken to all sorts of different groups and factions, they just don't. And if you say to someone, you know what, God spoke to me, that, well, they'll either think you're nuts, but if they know you, they'll think, how, how can you say that? It will create a question, it will create a question. So, how can you develop that personal vision? Uh, um, what conf- what, where are your godly convictions, what energizes you, what confronts you where can you serve, just get yourself into a serving opportunity get involved in the night shelter, we don't run that here speak to Rob and Angela or others in the team who are involved with the night shelter or, or get involved with another charitable exercise, it doesn't matter just serve your fellow human beings, get yourself into a hot spot where where people who've got real needs are there, you can join our hope teams you can go on our food runs and our bread collections just go meet some people. It was brilliant that the youth went out to Ramsden and just served beef burgers and had great fun with those families and shared their faith. What a great thing. You realise what you got. And what are you holding? What are you holding? What have you got in your life right now? What have you got that you are holding too tightly to? What have you got? These things will help you form your personal vision And it will sync with what the church is doing, by the way, nothing you can come up with will ever be bigger than what we together will come up with, let me tell you that. Just as long as your heart is good and you are going to share about those things, then then things will be great. I want to just bring in this verse. Um, this is absolutely God's word for our church right now this is God's word for our church right now but in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them you will tend vineyards and eat their fruit Isaiah 37 the back end of verse 30 we've been talking about this for a few months now this is the season for this church right now did you hear me? if you heard me say that put your hand up if you didn't hear me say it read the words on the screen listen but in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them, you will tend vineyards and eat their fruit whatever you plant now God will multiply whatever you plant what are you planting? there was a prophetic word on Friday night in the prayer meeting the packet of seeds is now open God has said tear open that packet, those seeds are ready to be planted It's, it's anything you've got in your life that can share the kingdom of God with somebody else in any way shape or form Get those seeds out. If you are holding on, if, you're not, if you don't even know what is in your packet, find out because God is saying get those seeds out, plant those seeds, get the information out, get awareness out, get, get his kingdom information out, pray for people, offer to pray for people, spend your time with people, help people to trust God, bring information into people's situations, invite them to church. Get the seeds of the kingdom of God into people's situations. Share your faith. God will multiply. Someone told me in one of the prayer meetings this week, their business situation is really strange right now. They're getting work opportunities multiplying up in their situation. The kingdom of God is not about this Sunday morning. It's about everywhere you touch. Watch what's going on in your business world. Use the seeds that God's given you to plant. If you don't plant, you will not harvest. You cannot harvest what you don't plant and seeds have to go into soil. A seed is useless in a packet. I've got bags of seed in my garage which does not grow anymore because it's never been put in the soil. And after a few years, it actually isn't much use. You can't really use it. We've got to plant those seeds and we've got opportunities to harvest what is on the vineyard. The vineyard, the vines are there. The fruit is about to grow in everywhere in the church let me just tell you godly vision vision now this is my saying this came from nowhere from god gave this to me this weekend godly vision messes with us it matures in us and multiplies through us i'll tell you write this down godly vision messes with us it matures in us and it multiplies through us god's godly vision will mess you around because he will shake you out of your routines He will mess around with you. If you want God's vision, who wants God's vision? Yes! You've all got capacity to see vision. Ananias and Saul both saw vision in prayer. Grasp it. Write it down. Write this down in your journals. Write this down in your your iPads, on your iPhones, (coughs) write it down, stick it on your walls, life group leaders, get this into discussion in your life groups, godly vision messes with us, it matures in us and multiplies through us, if it's not messing with you, you haven't got a vision from God, and if you haven't got a vision, the Bible says you will, what does the Bible say, without a vision the people, your faith will die, Literally, you will lose confidence. Now, God will try and bring you back, but he'll have to do all the work again because you, he, you haven't allowed his godly vision to mess with you. God, godly vision messes with us. It matures in us and multiplies through us. I wish I could leave that on the screen all the way through this morning. That would probably, I could stop there, actually, and, that, and we could just go straight into worship, but a few other things. So that's the first one, having spiritual vision. The second one is battling our doubts. Acts 9, 13, 14, 14 says... But, but Lord Ananias, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorised by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls on his name. We bring doubts into our world constantly when God speaks to us. We convince ourselves God didn't say it. We work it all out. I'm too busy. Um, that's too aggressive. That's too dangerous. That's going to cause me some pain. I'm going, let's just do it. I just think, you know, how, well, let me, I'm just going to profile a couple of the doubt areas in our life, I don't want to get stuck with it, but Ravi Zacharias, he's a great apologist, he says there are four fundamental questions in life, four fundamental questions, the first one is origin, the second one is meaning, and there are two more, but um, Christianity is unique, it's the only um, religious faith in the world that can answer the four fundamental questions in life. The four fundamental questions are your worldview. It's what you see around you and why you think the way you think. You'll base your thinking on, on whether or not there's a God or not a God based on fundamentals. And the four fundamental worldview questions are origin, meaning, let's go back, morality and destiny. Origin, meaning, morality and destiny. Those four things are the things that will shape your life. They were the th- they're the th- four things that fundamentally anybody who is a person needs to understand and think about. Morality, destiny, etc. Um, these are important areas. And you know, other religions, other faiths do not have answers for these four things. They don't have answers for it. They may, you may think they do, but they don't. They don't answer the origin question. They don't answer the meaning question in your life. They don't answer the morality question and they don't answer the destiny question. They may answer some of it, but they don't answer all of it. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you're a humanist, whether you're an agnostic, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're um, a Muslim, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a Sikh, whether you're a Buddhist. There are, there are missing pieces in these four requirements, but the scriptures, the word of truth, answers every single one of them with fact and information. And is expanded. So let me give you an example. In terms of origin, there are so many verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created, you know, Darwin, he had two chapters, Origin of Species, two chapters that that made the point that if you if within the next forthcoming years my theory cannot be proven, then it's meaningless effectively. And it never has been proven. There's never been a proven Case of one species mutating into another Amen. there is none, and yet the skeptics out there all stick it up as being fact it 's not fact. Amen. the Bible is really clear about it Genesis 1: 1, one in the beginning God some of the most intelligent people on the planet can mathematically prove that God must exist mm-hmm. mathematically it 's unbelievable that, that people are so persuaded by uncertainty and, and doubt but it 's the work of the enemy in the world. Um, you know, John 1:1 says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the word was God, and the word was with God." The Bible gives the origin for who we are and where we're coming from. The Bible gives the meaning of why we exist. Why do we exist? I'll tell you why we exist, we exist to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the reason we exist. We exist to know God. That's what it is. Since the very beginning of time, God has always purposed that any man could come and know Him and in fact in Romans it says that all creation cries out the existence of God so that any man can respond so don't say that God's only revealed himself to one or two, it's not true the presence of God is revealed throughout this planet for all people in all nations with all colours and all languages People know there is a God, and they have the challenge in their life. They may not understand it fully, but God's meaning. It says in Ephesians 2.10, can you read that? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ, Jesus, so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. That's our meaning. And there are many verses in the Bible. Our meaning is based in what God planned for us to do. It goes back to the vision question. Okay, morality. You know what? You lock your doors at night, don't you? You lock your car up. Why? Because you don't want... A murderous person coming into your, your, your house where you're asleep. You don't want someone stealing your car. You don't want someone stealing your watch. You don't, you don't want it. You don't want bad things in your life. So, so morality is an important question. Is there good? Is there evil? Yes, there is. We all know there's evil. We all know there's good. What is good? You cannot define good. You cannot define it. Only God can define good. If you define good, it will be subjective. Right? It will be subjective. It will be your morality versus somebody else and this world is full of people with their own subjective views about what I can do, what I can't do, what I've got a right to do, what you don't have a right to do and people argue about it till the cows come home. The reason is because they've got different views about morality. What is good and what is Hitler thought murdering people was good. right? We know it's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Because it's just the common consciousness. No, it's not. It's because God has planted good in creation and we know from his word that what is good and what is evil, God's goodness is way bigger than our goodness, by the way. It's not based on humanity. It's based on godliness. It says in Psalm 136, verse 1, God, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The Bible is full of scriptures about God's goodness. And finally, destiny. What is life all about? What happens after my death? What happens? Psalm 98.2, the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. And the scriptures are full of God's morality and his destiny. The scriptures answer this, so we got to take away our doubts and start trusting in what God says. Second area of doubts is, for us sometimes as Christians, it is, will God, oh, will God act? Will God, that was a heads up to someone who's got his head in his hands. Will God actually do what he says he will do? Yes, he will. Because if you believe in God, then you have to trust him. And if you trust him, he will do what he says he's going to do. The trouble is we put our trust in wrong things at times. We've got to get it right. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. If you know with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God exists, then you have got to trust him. You have got to remove the doubts. You've got to battle those doubts and get on with knowing what you know is true about God. You know, I believe in prophecy. I've been reading this week during the prayer and fasting. You know, Ezekiel prophesied to the valley of dry bones and said, dry bones live again. But he didn't just prophesy to dry bones. He prophesied into people groups he prophesied into the mountains and the hills and the valleys. When we speak, we can't live in a kind of, just say it and it's, it's all done. But there is a power in the spoken word. And we build our faith through it. We, we speak it and we build it. You know, a very brief story. Um, if I can get this thing. Oh. My, um, oh, let's go back. <laughs> I keep letting the cat out of the bag on that one. You know, when I was a kid growing up in in India for a couple of years, I remember a story about a guy called Sadhu Sundar Singh. Now, Sadhu Sundar Singh was an Indian guy in North India, a Sikh by birth. 1904, age 14 again. His mother died. Don't tell me you can't do something at the age of 14 for the kingdom of God. You can absolutely do something at the age of 14. Our 11 to 14 year olds could be the most on fire people in this church. And actually to treat them like kids is a mistake. They are vessels for God's Holy Spirit. It's amazing. So at the age of 14, his mother died. He got so frustrated by this. He got angry. His his life was kind of meaningless at the time. Uh, He started to attack and persecute Christians. Um, He burned the Bible. And in deep despair, he cried out, For the true God to reveal himself. True God, reveal yourself. And he had a dramatic vision of Jesus in his glory and his love. And the voice said to him in Hindustani, so God speaks more than just English. (laughs) How long will you persecute me? I have come to save you. You are praying to know the, the right way. Why do you not take it? He heard the voice. He heard the voice of God. He saw this dramatic vision of Jesus and he was baptised at the age of 16. As a Sikh, he became a, a follower of Jesus Christ. As soon as his family found out, they tried to kill him with poison. I believe he was put down a well and they poured venomous snakes into the well to try and kill him off. In the end, he, had to, he was miraculously saved. God protected him, a bit like Daniel in the lion's den. But he was persecuted. Um, and then he, he left home. And as he got older, um, he called himself a Sadhu. Now, if you're from a Sikh background, you'll know that a Sadhu means holy man. And so he intentionally dressed as a holy man, carrying the name of Jesus. And his, t- they, he was renowned in North India. Um, he is, he survived stoning in various villages and people trying to kill him. But they called him the Apostle with the bleeding feet, the Apostle with the bleeding feet. He walked all over North India, leading people to faith and influencing thousands of people, influencing thousands of people. My final point this morning, my final point. The well, first one was having spiritual vision. The second one was battling our doubts. Sadhu Sundar Singh found the truth and he started to do something about it. And thirdly, become God's instrument. Become God's instrument. There are various people who are God's instrument at various times. And I just want to pop a picture up. And I know I'm going to embarrass the person. But um, it fits. And I just thought I'd take pastor's liberty. <laughs> who is this man? It's Fred. Fred, this week, was commended for bravery. That's the, um, the the most important policeman in our borough, the borough commander. And next to him, or next to Fred, shall I say, is the mayor, the lady mayor. And I don't know if you know this, but Fred caught armed bank robbers and influenced the pursuit of those bank robbers. They were, abdu- they were accosted, and, and when, once the public had finally nailed them, the police turned up. Which is how it happened. And they, uh, they were found guilty and have custodial sentences to this day. Seven other counts were brought against them. And this happened on New Year's Eve last year. And, you know, God can do anything through anybody, but it takes someone to respond and do something about what they see. And that's what Fred did. So I didn't want to embarrass Fred, but I think we should just show our appreciation well, of Fred as well. uh, He is mortified that I put that up there. He knew nothing about it, so I'm sorry, Fred, but uh, um, (laughs) forgive me later. Okay, becoming God's instrument. Fred was God's instrument in that situation, he was society's instrument. We can be God's instrument wherever we are. The key things for us the Lord said to Saul, uh, to Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. I'm going to skip through these final few points because I want to get the worship team up here, so perhaps, worship team, you can join me. Um, but um, if we become God's instrument, we will, uh, we will obey despite our uncertainties. We will obey despite our uncertainties. You will be uncertain. Ananias was <coughs> uncertain. Paul, Saul's reputation was huge. But he was God's chosen vessel, and so was Ananias. So was Ananias. I'm going to skip that. Actually, no, I'm not. God's purpose in bringing Saul to faith in all this was to use him to show the church what it really is about. And God used Saul to reveal and grasp God's purpose. God's purpose in all of creation was to use his church to display his wisdom in all its rich variety. God's purpose is to use us in all our variety to present the truth of who Jesus is God is invested in us and Paul who was Saul originally was to learn that so becoming God's instrument is about obeying despite the uncertainties it's, a, it's about grasping it's about grasping God's purpose in your life and why is he doing it we're involved in this church we should be at 100% committed to one another in the life of this church because if we're not if we're holding I'm not saying you've got to do everything but if we're 100% committed to the body of Christ then together we will make a difference. Together we will benefit and grow each other. To, together we will, we will understand God's purpose. Together, you know, this should excite us. The, the potential is in the church, and that's what Saul, who became Paul, preached. And then the third aspect of becoming God's instrument is to carry responsibility. And what did Ananias do? He says he laid hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, in fact he spoke in Aramaic, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, was sent to me, has sent me to you so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptised. Ananias had to be God's instrument. And God didn't move outside of what Ananias did. He, He said, now Ananias, you go. It's a pattern and picture for our church. It's the model of church. God said, go to Ananias. We are told to go into these situations, to go. If your vision is to stay, I don't know if that's really God's vision, but God's vision always has a go element. Go! God said go, so Ananias went and he found Saul. Go and find. Go and find. Who's God told you to go and find? Has God, are you aware of who God's told you to go and find? God's told you, every one of us to go find somebody. Go and find. And when you find him, affirm him as a brother which is what he did. He called him brother. He, he overcame his doubts. He laid hands on him and Saul received his sight and he was filled in the Holy Spirit. It's a p- picture of the church, isn't it? We bring the lost in. They become part of our family. We lay hands on them and they get the revelation and the power of the Holy Spirit and they get empowered. And Ananias' prayer triggered God's release and anointing. And Saul realised that it's not about one man. It's about the body ministering together. God gets other people involved. And what did he do? He got baptised. He got baptised. So let's stand. We're going to sing a song now this morning. We want godly vision. How can I trust God more? Having that spiritual vision. Battling our doubts. Choosing to become God's instrument.